Welcome to the Courage 1000 Project, where each week we bring you inspiring stories from courageous individuals about the moments and experiences that have shaped their lives. I'm your host, Melies the Story Collector, author, speaker, trainer, facilitator, videographer, award-winning photographer and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help deep-feeling women reclaim their confidence, joy and purpose in life from a world that overwhelms their hearts, minds and souls. And this journey... It starts with courage. You see, after a lifelong struggle with my own identity, I discovered the core principle to reclaiming your life was courage. And it made me curious. Were there others like me? Were there others who had reclaimed their life through the secret of courage? What was courage for them? What did it look like? And where were their stories? And with that, the Courage 1000 Project was born. We're digging up the archives and bringing to you season one of the Courage 1000 project. Originally a web TV show and now available across all your favorite platforms. Let's get into it. Welcome to Melias the Story Collector Web TV, where each week we bring you inspiring stories from courageous individuals about the moments and experiences that have shaped their lives. Now imagine for a moment that boogeyman that used to be hiding under your bed as a child. Now imagine what would happen if that greatest fear became a reality. In today's show, Belinda is going to share the story of when she was attacked by the boogeyman under her bed. But most importantly, how she found the courage to live through this attack and use it as inspiration and hope for others. story is quite powerful in understanding um, trauma from a child's perspective you know especially that young teenager's perspective and this story in particular really cemented a lot of emotions moving forward for me in my life you know it happened at a time when um, you know you still expected your parents to be able to protect you and I guess it was my wake-up call into the reality that life isn't always pretty <laughs> and um, you know that you do there are dangers out there and for me it was in my own home so um, yeah I guess I want to share this story so people can see that that it does take courage to move through the steps and the processes that are required to um, immediately, but that healing does occur. And, you know, even 20 something odd years on, um, I can still reflect back on that and see the healing that's still occurring from that incident. So what happened? Where did this all start? Well, for me, I was uh, 16 years old living in Brisbane in Queensland. I was in year 12 and had a, um, I was right in the middle of my year 12 exams, QCS as they were called back then. And in the middle of the night, um, I was attacked in my own home, to put it quite simply. So it was um, at the time I had my entire family were home. This is the most astounding thing about this story. My entire family were home and um, my father was one of those that stayed up late watching TV. He wasn't a very good sleeper. And fortunately for me, he mutes ads. <laughs> um, he hates ads. You know, the old ads on TV, we don't have them so much now with Netflix. But, um, and, you know, that essentially saved my life as a result of him doing that. But um, while I was, everybody else had gone to bed, I was still up and I'd gone to have a shower. I'd come back into my room and I was massive into writing at the time. So I used to write poetry all the time. And in fact, I'd had one published and um, 
I was reading the poetry out loud. I do that all the time just to hear how it sounds and to get different afflictions and make sure that, um, you know, it, it all flows well. And um, these, you know, real creepy kind of situations happened. And when you look back, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. But I remember I had a double bed at the time with a single mattress underneath it for when friends came to sleep over, etc. And I remember seeing the single mattress kind of popped out beside the side of my bed not thinking anything of it, pushed it back under with my heels, those sorts of things. And I, when I fell asleep that night, um, a few hours later into the middle of the, of the morning, I guess it would have been early morning, um, I recall waking to somebody in the room. And um, that person was on top of me, had the hands over my mouth. Um, this amazing thing... Oh, it's not so amazing. This thing happens to the brain where we it attempts to protect you. And so unfortunately, my memory of the exact incident isn't very specific. I have been told things that I apparently did <laughs> that I didn't even know I did, such as he was wearing a balaclava and I've ripped, we have struggled and I've ripped that off. Um, he held a knife to my throat. I don't recall there being a knife. Um, but, you know, the police even said it's probably a good thing you didn't stop um, fighting from the knife. We don't know what could have happened. Um, and what actually happened is in that struggle, as that was going on, my father, who was actually still awake in the um, lounge room, had muted an ad and he heard some commotion coming from my room. I was of the age where I had a boyfriend and um, his immediate thought was that the boyfriend had snuck in to my room. <laughs> so he kind of came down to go, what's going on down here? And I remember hearing him yell from the, from the hallway, what's going on? And when he got to my room, he attempted to open the door to come on in and um, my door was locked. And that was a real warning bell for him because we had a rule in our house, no locked doors because of fires. And especially at night time, there's no reason to kind of lock your door. Um, anyway, without instinctually, I guess, and this is a father, father's instincts kicking in, he kicked the door down. He literally just, and as he did, he saw a person just go, a, a bloke, um, take off through my bedroom window. So it was pretty intense. <laughs> um, yeah. Actually, yeah, we look from here on in, I, I mean, my memory, like I said, your brain goes into immediate lockdown. It just protects you from trauma like that. Um, I have little vivid, you know, flashbacks. And, you know, I remember my father saying, what are you wearing? And kind of ripping the sheets off me to check what was going on. Um, and then I remember him turning and just running out the back to the back door. Yeah. Um, he'd actually come down when everybody had gone to bed. Myself, I was the last one to go to bed and he'd locked the house up. And what we didn't know is that the gentleman that had broken into the house, I wouldn't call him a gentleman, the bastard, mongrel, <laughs> scoundrel, what I don't really know what we can call him, but had actually um, been planning it. So he'd been watching me for some time. That's and he'd pre yeah, it was pretty, especially, you know, as a 16 year old, when you think about that, yeah. um, it, it, it makes you realize and made me become a lot more aware of my surroundings as well. So there is a learning, I guess, a learning curve in every incident, but um, he pre-cut the screen in my window um, some days earlier, but what he didn't know is that we keep a piece of dowel in our window. And so when he'd attempted to come into my window that night, he couldn't get in and had walked into the backyard, tried the back door. And of course it was unlocked. I mean, most people leave their doors unlocked when they're inside their own house. Yeah. And he'd just walked in and then hid under my bed and waited for everybody to fall asleep.
Yeah. My father had locked the house up in that time though. And so when he'd gone to chase him into the backyard, the house was all locked up and he was trying to fumble with locks. And, and by the time he got into the backyard, the, the guy had gone up and over the fence and, and down the street. Um, fortunately, this guy wasn't um, too intelligent and he ran straight home. So by the time the police arrived and the sniffer dogs and those kind of things, they were able to track him straight to his front door, literally. So, um, but, I, but I remember, I remember my father coming in. I remember him taking off. I remember lying there thinking, what's just happened? My first thought was that my boyfriend had come in and my dad had just caught her. Like I hadn't connected the dots that I had. I wasn't in that moment, hadn't been safe. I don't, I don't even know what was going on in all honesty. And, um, it wasn't until when the forensics unit turned up and they'd flipped my bed upside down and they'd fingerprinted underneath it and I saw these 10 clear fingerprints underneath the bed that the reality hit. And I remember that moment. I remember sitting there, my, my breathing went real shallow. My body started convulsing. I went into, you know, what they, the doctors call shock. Um, and it was, and all of a sudden I kind of looked in the mirror and I had bruises around my neck and I was bleeding and I was just like, oh my God, hang on, <laughs> something's happened to me, you know? Um, and it was, it was a real, I mean, I didn't know at the time, even that in that moment, I didn't know the police already had somebody in custody. They didn't tell me that. Um, it turns out because he had been watching me for some time, they were quite hesitant to kind of reveal a lot of details to me until they knew the full story because they didn't know what else we needed to worry about. Yeah. But that's not you know, the trauma of that incident in that moment isn't what created the most trauma in my life for me. Um, it was the aftermath. It was the after and flow on effect. Yeah. You know, the, the next day I had a, ma a massive maths exam, my year 12 exams for my, for my OP score, <laughs> you know, and I wanted to get into a pretty um, impressive university. I wanted to study forensic psychology. So I needed a pretty decent grade. And um, I remember sitting in my maths class the next day and the police had said, um, had kind of hinted that it was somebody who I knew and which it often is, right? You know, a lot of the time the statistics show it's somebody we know. And I remember looking around and I was the only female, I did advanced maths in year 12 and I was the only female in that class. And all of a sudden I had a full blown anxiety attack. I'd never had one before. And it was to me, somebody in that room had done it. <laughs> and I, I went into meltdown mode and, and, um, it was, you know, embarrassing, but at the same time, this was real and happening to me. And, yeah. you know, the school was amazing. They had a friend come in and actually who was doing a HPE exam at the time and she sat with me next to me and we did our exams together. So I had sort of another female in the room. And um, But the pressure, I mean, I ended up failing that exam miserably, let's be completely honest. Um, and the university, again, you know, yeah. I, and, I, and these are all the kind of things, the flow on effect is what's really painful because even that you know I had to then apply to university for a um, special consideration and I had to share my story with the university and I had to give them the police report and and all of these kind of things that you just want it to you just want to start healing immediately but healing doesn't happen that way unfortunately there's this ripple effect that occurs so um, I'd you, love to say this sorry so do you feel that it wasn't the moment itself that you had to find that courage because you're from the sounds of it, you just shut down. You had no idea what was happening. But yeah, I remember even apparently I, um, I must've thought it was my boyfriend, you know, cause when you're woken up from sleep and you don't know what's happening. And when I found the balaclava and I don't remember any of this, but there was a balaclava on the ground that I'd ripped off. 
Um, and I assumed it was my boyfriend's beanie and I quickly hid it. <laughs> and I hid it under my pillow. Like, this is what the brain does. It's amazing how it will just go into protection mode. Yeah. And the police found this balaclava and went, what's this? And I went, oh, oh no, it was, oh, I guess it was the guys. <laughs> you know, and then I had skin underneath my fingernails. Apparently I'd, I'd hacked his face and I didn't even know I'd done that. You know, I had no idea. So your brain, definitely the courage comes after. I mean, especially as a, I had to find the courage to get up the next morning and go to school. I had to find the courage to sit in the classroom and complete that exam. Yeah. I had to find the courage to go to the police station and, and create, you know, do the police report. Yeah. I had to find the courage to send, um, all this time, I didn't know who this guy was. I, I was I was like the only person as the victim who had never seen his face. The police had, my parents had, you know, they were they were able to. I guess I was a minor, um, and I remember going into court on the day he was sentenced, and they actually brought me into a balcony at the top, and he was brought in underneath, so I so I didn't have to face you know the severity of it being a minor. Um, and to this day, I still don't know what he looks like. I to literally I, I'm I'm nearly forty and I still have no idea what this guy's face looks like. And it terrifies me that I could walk down the street any day and he could be walking towards me and he'd know who I was and I wouldn't know who he was. Yeah. It was this that kind of courage to go about. We the courts did put a three year restraining order on him after parole. So he was sentenced. He got twelve months in jail. Look, you know, I, I don't I know what I know about the justice system. Apparently that was um the best they could do at the time. He ended up getting done for break and enter with circumstances of aggravation, which is a little bit, you know, uh, and I guess you go through that process of being angry that that's it. Like that's all he's being charged with. You know, he had possession of a weapon. He was, you know, intent to whatever. Um, I was extremely fortunate. I was not sexually assaulted that night and I wasn't murdered, <laughs> but it was very possible. Both could have been in his mind. Yeah. Um, the brazen attack of doing it while hit the entire family are in the house. I, I you know, um, at the time he had an older brother in prison already. Um, we learned about this during the sentencing and he was being released um, a month after this guy was sent to jail. And I, I feared that the older brother may go for some form of retribution. Yeah. So there was a three year restraining order put out against his whole family and my whole family. So that, you know, cause you can imagine how my dad felt about the whole circumstance. Yeah. And, um, and when that three years was up and I remember to the day on the day that three years was up, um, locking myself in the house, you know, I was 19 and I'm like, he could literally come and knock on my front door now legally. Yeah. You know, um, so and that's you didn't where know who he was because you didn't know what he looked like. No, and he and um, he was a local. He was somebody who lived very close to me, um, and that's how he'd come to you know see me around. I guess. Um, I mean, it it doesn't the the courage to just keep walking out your front door and keep doing what you're doing and to move on with that kind of knowledge in the back of your head. Yeah. Um, for me, it, it didn't kind of end there, unfortunately. There was a close friend, well, I'm going to say acquaintance. I won't say close friend. You know, when you're 16, you've got a massive group of friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was one of my group of friends um, actually started, after this guy got out of prison, met him and started to date him. 
and um, she had unfortunately lost her partner. He had he had died earlier, and when I approached her family about because I wasn't aware if they knew that he had been in prison and what he was in prison had been in prison for. Um, I was asked to very not politely to back off and that they were in love and that I had no right to get involved in their situation. And, you know, I was a kid. I was still a kid. I was six, you know, 17. He was only in jail for a year. Um, and I didn't know how to approach a situation like that. I mean, it took courage to even approach them in the first place yeah. and say, Hey, um, and I spoke to this lady's mother. That's where I went as, you know, as as the first port and thought I need to leave that in their hands to make decisions. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that mother didn't take that information anywhere. She wanted her daughter to be happy. Understandably, I don't blame that mother at all. You know, um, yeah. she did what she thought was right and best at the time. But this poor girl went on to have two children with this man. Yeah. Um, he was a man at, the, at, at that point in time and um, lived a horrific life of domestic abuse. I know that because last year she reached out to me and said, I've been wanting to say this to you for 21 years. Can we talk? Um, she was really, really angry at me because she had obviously since found out this information, very, really angry at me um, that I had not attempted to stop her being in this relationship back when we were 17 yeah. um, and she had she wasn't aware of the knowledge that I had attempted to do that and so you know I guess for me what it you know the instant incident itself it happened I had no control over it bad things happen to good people and um, you can't control when or where or how um, there were some huge learning curves that came from it. I learned to be more vigilant of my surroundings. <laughs> if yeah. things seem out of place, there may be reasons, you know, a mattress under the bed shouldn't have been pushed out, for example, yeah. you know, being more vigilant and aware of that, um, you know, being, I guess, knowing that the aftermath, when somebody has experienced trauma, the aftermath is where the trauma actually starts to be cemented, not the actual incident. Yeah. You know, it's things they have to go through after and finding that courage to actually process through that. I mean, let's be honest, that could have led me to being a rebellious, drug taking, you know, um, off the rails kind of teen. I could have entered my early adulthood really messed up. Yeah, um, you'd want to disconnect from it even happening and you'd do whatever you could to disconnect from it. That's right. And even things like, you know, how I feel about males. Um, look, let the unpleasant side of things, um, I started wetting the bed at the age of 16 um, yeah. as a, you know, in my sleep. I spent many, many years, I met my husband when I was 22. So, you know, um, seven, six years later, and I still couldn't sleep on a bed that wasn't an ensemble that touched the ground. If there was ever a bed that had a, a gap under it, yeah. Um, then I couldn't sleep on that bed, you know. I mean, these are the, this is the kind of thing that trauma happens, uh, that creates trauma in our lives, or, yeah. you know, that trauma can create. It creates this flow-on effect. And every single night going in, it's sleeping, you know, if I had to sleep in a bed with a gap under the ground, the courage it took to do that. I mean, these are, courage isn't, doesn't have to be a big act. Sometimes it's just those real little things um, yeah. that just, the next day rolls into the next day and you do that one thing that just helps moving you through that trauma into a different place. Yeah. The biggest, most amazing moment for me was last year when um, this girl and I talked 
And after 21 years, I was able to say, um, I'm sorry that I could, you know, I I'd thought about her for 21 years and I thought I should have done more. And I thought, you know, and she was able to say to me, you were a child and this is not on you. You know, he is the one that you, we both need to direct all of our, um, I don't want to say anger because I'm not angry, but, you know, all of those emotions towards because he's the only one that's done any harm here. Not her, not I, not, you know, anybody else in that situation. Yeah. I mean, I had... I, 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 like I said, I wrote poetry. It was, I, I wanted to be an author. That was kind of what I was going to do. I was going to be a poet. And I, um, one of the biggest things in my victim impact statement that was read out aloud in court was, um, I, I tore up all my poetry. I tore it all up. I, I was, cause he'd heard it. He'd heard my inner, you know, I was reading it aloud to the room when he was in underneath my bed at the time. Yeah. And I went, um, about five or oh no much longer i was going to say about five years it may have even been about 10 years before i could ever write again you know and when i wrote that next um poem for you know and, I, and it was a poem it was a stanza it was um it was deep and it was powerful and it was everything that had been built up for 10 years and it was amazing and i actually got that piece published um, just in, a, in an anthology of poems, it was nothing big, but it was massive for me. It was a really, really big moment. I also went on to university and I did a double degree of law and psychology to study forensic psychology. I got in, the university accepted me um, as they understood my circumstances. They altered my grades to reflect that. And, you know, life went on, life went on. And um, although it took 21 years for that whole healing cycle to occur, I had this, I, had, I did, I did heal. But I had to have the courage to get up, to get out of bed, to go and do the maths exam, to face the guy in court. Three years later, every time there was a knock on the door to open it, not knowing if it was going to be him, you know. And then when this girl reaches out to me, to have the courage to have that conversation as well. Yeah. And I'm so glad. Yeah, the courage to have that conversation, that in itself is huge because it's digging everything back up again. Oh, it was, it was, and it was so healing. And it's quite interesting because... All these years, I mean, obviously my children, I have two children now and they're not aware of the circumstances. My husband's aware, you know, I still have a thing with having the house locked up even though we're inside. <laughs> you know, I think that's just something, that's just, that's just part and power of obviously my experience. Yeah. Um, and so when I had that conversation and then I, I, you know, I sat down that night and I said to him, oh my God, and it was through Facebook. I mean, we can bitch and whinge all we want about social media <laughs> but can I tell you it has done I, I've, I've read stories of families reconnecting and for me if social media does nothing else it actually connected this girl and I to have that conversation and I felt from that moment all of that leave me just shift and leave like I I think I could actually run into this guy in the street if I ever knew who he was I, mean, I won't but you know I felt like I could run into him and just kind of walk on without feeling or wanting to you know say or do anything so um that was massive absolutely massive for me yeah mm. this has all led into what you do now so do you work with a lot of people who've been through similar traumatic experiences i do look i'm a spiritual teacher um now and so you know through that was part and power of my childhood. And obviously, you know, everybody has a story. Everybody does. And my stories led me to do what I do now. I work with a lot of people that have experienced trauma that are just trying to heal. 
more from it. You know, not the trauma itself, but as I mentioned, that that ripple, that after effect, the flow on, and how you can see that 20 years later, this can actually still be affecting you on some level, whether you acknowledge it or not. Yeah. You know, biologically, your body, your cells hold on to this trauma at some at, in some way shape or form so yeah it definitely has impacted me um what i do now is getting people to the place that i am you know and even it was only last year i got that complete circle completed for healing for myself from this particular incident at 16 um and so yeah working with people to actually allow them to come that full circle or create that circle themselves i wish i'd had uh, maybe if i'd had a bit more courage i could have reached out to this girl but you know the courage she had to reach out to me and her story, it's not mine to share, so I won't, but her story was horrific. You know, what she endured and what she went through. So her, the courage that she displayed to reach out and actually have that closure, even with me, I think is really powerful for both of us. And we're at that point in the show where we get to thank our amazing sponsors. So Belinda has offered for you guys, our amazing viewers, a copy of her free ebook all about your chakras. So obviously being a healer, she knows about this sort of stuff really, really well. So if you would like to get your hands on that ebook, jump to the link somewhere on the screen here and make sure you say hello to her as well online. Let her know how her story has impacted you. One of the big things we are very, very passionate about here at Melies and the people I interview, we want to know the impact our stories are having out in the world. So please connect with us. Let us know how you feel and how this story has impacted on your life as well. And we'll see you next week, same time, same place for another inspiring story. Love and kindness, my friends. Mwah. If you are feeling stuck and overwhelmed right now and are struggling to find your courage, jump over to melies.com.au to claim your free personalized insights and discover the three things you need to know to reclaim confidence, joy and purpose in your life.